You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group. www.americantheatre.org Good afternoon and welcome to Off Script, American Theatre's podcast and all things theatrical. I'm Rob Weinert Kent, the Editor-in-Chief. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm coming to you, although my background looks like I'm somewhere else, I'm coming to you from Queens home of the uh, Rockaway and Masspath nations. Uh, and I'm here on January 14th, 2022, the first, first edition of our the new year and the last bittersweetly with my colleague in Chicago, JR. Yeah, I'm JR Pierce, associate editor for American Theater. And I am, my pronouns are he, him, and I am calling in from the lands of the Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria, also known as Chicago, where your background actually is today, Rob. Yes, I'm very excited about today's, I'm, I'm excited and sad <laughs> about today's uh, edition. Um, we're we're going to be talking to the co-artistic directors of Steppenwolf Theater and that Glenn Davis and Audrey Francis and behind me is uh, their, a shot of their beautiful interior, which have you, you've been there, right, JR? You've been into the space? Yeah. I've been there a couple times. I was there for okay. their ribbon cutting with uh, the, the mayor and the governor and uh, <laughs> yeah, I also got a little tour around the, the other spaces there too. It's pretty cool. Well, I'm super excited that for your for your last edition with us, you get to have a totally Chicago specific uh, uh, topic um, and subject. Um, and we should just say it's your last uh, because you just accepted a job at the Seattle Times. Is that right? Yeah, I'll be uh, an arts and culture reporter for the Seattle Times starting in February. Uh, focusing still on theater, but also visual arts and a few other areas, you know, as they come up. But, uh, you know, I've gotten to know the Chicago community really well over the last 10 years living here. And I'm kind of really excited to, to get to know the Seattle community, which seems similar in a lot of ways to, to the way Chicago is um, with both its, its passion for arts and the, the way that the kind of non-mainstream artists like get a lot of focus and deserve a lot of attention. So I'm really excited to, to report on that community. Yeah, they're both good theater towns. And um, so super congratulations to you, JR. Uh, you know, you've got great things ahead of you. It's been amazing. I think we talked about, you, you started at this job January, 2020. I tell the story of many times when, when we thought, oh, our first remote and full-time employee, our first, first editor reporter in Chicago, perfect place for it. And we'll travel a bit and we, you know, and then March, 2020, of course, most of your reporting <laughs> right out of the gate has been about how we're all remote now. Theaters are remote, virtual uh, theaters on, you know, struggling, planning, hoping. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a weird time to write about theater, but it's been great to have you on the front lines with me. Um, I wanted to just touch on another uh, sad, I guess it's a celebration, but it's also sad, uh, celebration of a, a great, great critic, uh, Terry Teachout, who uh, was the Wall Street Journal drama critic for about 20 years. And for about four of those years, for the past four years, he was, was one of the co-hosts of a, a podcast, Three on the Isle, that he and Peter Marks and Elizabeth Vincentelli just brought to American theater. And actually, you know, they did it for free for a while um, and just because just they wanted to get together and talk. And um, he was a, a passionate uh, advocate for theater all over the country. And he'll be dearly missed. We don't have a, a piece we can point you to yet. We're going to be writing a tribute. But I can tease the fact that Peter Marks and Elizabeth Mitchell are going to get back together for one last Two on the Isle podcast to talk about Terry. So look forward to that. Um, and I say it's bittersweet because he, he left a great legacy and uh, you know, a standard for us all um, in many ways. So um, Let's move on from that. <laughs> we it, the, the year started off pretty fairly slowly, um, in part because it often is slow in the first week of January, but also there was a lot of uncertainty about Omicron and theater closures. And one of our first stories, our first story was was from the stage manager at American Utopia, the David Byrne show on Broadway, where they had a lot of positive cases, and instead of closing or or, or postponing. They did a sort of concert uh, with whatever band members could 
could be on stage and they just pulled it together in, in record time. And so it's, it's, her, it's her talking about just putting the show on despite the odds. Um, it was called American, American Utopia Unchained was officially what they called it. Um, like I guess a riff on Unplugged, but Unchained just, and it was basically a David Byrne Talking Heads concert that was, and so that was, you know, an inspiring and yet slightly unsettling way to begin, <laughs> to begin our year. Uh, we, then we had a, a really fascinating, beautiful piece about production of wit at Scene Place Theater um, uh, in which the lead actor, Erin, uh, I can't remember, Kronikan, I think was her name. She is diagnosed with stage four cancer and was given three, three to five years to live three years ago. And so it's a bit of a story about her racing against the clock to, to, to get on stage in wit um, despite the pandemic and perform that, that piece and how it's obviously very close to home, but almost too close to home because her partner is playing the nurse. And there's a scene in which the nurse and the lead character talk about their plans for the, when, when, when the character dies and the actors can't look at each other. It's, it's, a, it's a really moving story. Um, let's see. And we also have a couple other pieces we've, we've put up in the, JR, you want to tell us about? Yeah. Um, so first I would want to talk about the, the Jim O'Quinn Memorial article that came out that was a beautiful tribute from all of like his friends, his family, everyone who cared about him, which to see the overwhelming community behind Jim, who's the founding editor of American theater. So we have like a, plenty of love for him ourselves, but to see that outpouring of love, <laughs> I, I can't think of a better word, but yeah, around Jim, I, I think it's just a, a beautiful tribute from uh, Francis Madsen, who was there in New Orleans, if I remember correctly, yeah. um, for that celebration. Uh, and then there's also a piece uh, from Caroline Macon Fleischer. I'm not so sure if I'm saying that right, Rob, but um, oh. who spoke with playwright Jonathan Norton, who works down in Dallas, uh, about connecting art to community and reaching people who don't necessarily think of themselves as theater people all the time. And especially like working to start conversations through theater in a community like Dallas, which has its own political issues and turmoil and trying to create theater and start productive conversations. And it's a great conversation uh, with Jonathan about that. Uh, and then I'll kick it back to you. I know you have a couple more pieces you wanted to touch on. Yeah, there's a couple of big pieces that just went up this week. Um, one was about a, uh, keeping the focus on the global, uh, last July to November in Europe, basically from the Turkey-Syria border all the way to Manchester, there's a giant uh, refugee, uh, or gi giant puppet created by Handspring Theater to represent the, the refugee crisis that sort of walked its way across Europe and theatrical events were staged uh, in association with it by local communities in Greece, in Turkey, in Italy, and France in which the, the migrant or the refugee crisis is a really political hot button. In, in one, one place in Greece, they had th stones throw, thrown at them. They had to kind of improvise and come up with new plans to, to, do, to do their art safely. Um, it's a beautiful and it's rather long, but it, it takes you through the whole journey that they went on. It, it's fascinating. It's called uh, Little Amal was the name of, the, of this refugee girl, a, a, a large puppet representing a, a, a girl. Um, a refugee girl, and uh, it so it's a fascinating piece um, by Alexandra Aaron. I highly recommend looking at that. Another one that looks has a large scope. Um, we have a series called The Tapestry of American Black Theater, uh, written by a couple of folks, Dorothy Marchick and Hinton Battle, um, and it's looking back at historic uh, black theaters that you know they come up. You hear their names referenced every now and again. Negro Ensemble Company. Um, and the like. Um, the one we just put out today is about um, two, two that I heard of but hadn't, didn't know that much about, New Lafayette Theater and the New Federal Theater. Both of them took their inspiration from the Federal Theater Project of the 1930s and uh, were founded sort of out of the ferment of the Black Arts Movement in uh, the 60s in New York. New Federal Theater is still officially going and New Lafayette Theater only lasted for about five years or, or so, but both of them were hugely influential and that's a really good look back on the inspirations behind them. Civil rights, the civil rights movement and the blues were kind of their inspirations for them respectively. And then 
speaking of Black theater history, JR, we've also this week. Yeah, yeah we uh, published an excerpt from a Lorraine Hansberry uh, biography called Lorraine Hansberry, The Life Behind a Raisin in the Sun uh, by Charles J. Shields. Uh, and the excerpt we have is a really cool story about how she met influential director Lloyd Richards who helped shape A Raisin in the Sun through a lot of that work. And so I, I recommend checking that out. And I haven't read the whole biography, but now I kind of want to, <laughs> like I want to read more about that. But uh, the other piece I wanted to talk about was uh, Jennifer M. Holmes, who is the executive director at Pace's uh, Performing Arts uh, performing arts college, I can't remember the, the exact name, or school performing arts, uh, who I spoke with earlier this week about everything about her career, who found like a great story about how her father was in World War II and then became an actor after that, working with, like working all over the place, including on Broadway, and how her mother went to a, a have pretty much a, a college experience as you might expect and how that kind those kind of separate experiences shaped her life to want to make sure she can bring theater education and arts education to everyone and make sure that's open to everyone um, and not just those who are able to take like college classes or do the the typical route so we had a lot of we had a nice chat uh, for a Q&A about her vision for the future of theater education and how she sees the field changing moving forward. Well, that's a great segue for me to just to just give a little tribute to you, JR. Who this Jennifer Holmes is the last, of, at least for for now, of Q and A's you've done with theater leaders when they either come or go. I mean, we're going to have another one with uh, some new theater leaders in a second. But just some of my favorites of that you've done over the past couple of years: Peter Quo at ACT, Che Yu as he left Victory Gardens, Ken Matt Martin as he came into Victory Gardens, um, Tiffany Gavin at the O'Neill. Keisha Jarrett at the Artist Repertory Theater and Tim Bond as he started at uh, TheaterWorks in Silicon Valley. Um, I'm not gonna take a lot of time on this, Jarrett, but I just wanna give tribute to some of the great pieces that you've done over the years. Um, you've been, again, I'm not gonna get emotional. I'm trying not to. Um, one thing that you covered really uh, intently was streaming, virtual, digital, whatever different name. That was something you're very interested in. There was a great piece about um, Ike Coulter's play at the Goodman. But the one, I, and it, it's hard to pick any one, but I think the one that you were working on for a long time and, and was sort of a dream piece of yours was the one about learning from the NFL. Like, could we learn about the model of, of um, how sports didn't used to be broadcast um, and then they were and what, what that transition was like and talking to theater folks about that model. That's an amazing piece. It was called Play for Play Can Theater Learn from the NFL. Um, you, we had a, Kind of, we did some arduous reporting about the American Shakespeare Center. It was co-reporting on that, on the the departure of Ethan. Well, the end of Ethan McSweeney's <laughs> McSweeney's uh, tenure there, and what 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 that what that meant for the company and how that happened. And then I think that in, in part gave rise to inspired. I think one of your best pieces uh, about Shakespeare and men of color playing Shakespeare roles and, and taking that on. Like what, what that a tradition. Uh, recovering a tradition really and, and building the tradition around that. Um, it was called You Could Be King and Brandon Carter from ASC was at the center of that, but a couple other folks too. Another off script guest, Carl Cofield was part of that as well. Um, and then your background um, in theater tech, I think informed uh, two of your other best pieces. One was a great view of stage managers and their role in theater, they're often overlooked. Um, I think they're kind of like essential workers are often given lip service like yeah they're, they're really they're really great but they're not often listened to as much as they could be. Um, uh, I think they're listened to when there's a cue but I'm sure in terms of their of their <laughs> of their role in the theater and I think along those lines so you wrote you know our, our piece about the we see you white American theater uh, the not a uh, not a moment but a movement piece toward an anti-racist American theater but I think one of the pieces that emerged from that, I thought that was interesting, was looking at one of their demands about cutting down on the hours. And you did a piece about ending 10 out of 12s, which we can't take credit for the 10 out of and 10 out of 12s movement, which is happening among theaters now. But I think that piece put into, into words a lot of the reasons why 10 out of 12s and the long hours for, you know, 
for little money and uh, it is maybe not the best way to move forward. Um, and I would just say, finally, I won't <laughs> draw this out too long. Um, you know, TCG and American theater, we cover a lot of theater institutions. We're talking to two artistic leaders in a minute, but I was especially moved and, and uh, appreciative that one of the first stories you did after the pandemic, after we figured out our theater is gonna stay open, what's gonna happen to their schedules, what's gonna, who's gonna, was writing a piece about the impact on actors in their lives. Um, the actor's life goes on minus the script, which we spoke to various actors about some who had COVID, some uh, who had to leave shows and, and what that meant for their putting their lives on hold. Um, so that's just a little tour <laughs> of some of the bylines of JR. Uh, you know, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the final one I would wanna bring up is the one about Chicago storefronts you did, I can't believe it was almost a year ago um, in May, it was leading to the summer, but it was basically a lot of Chicago storefronts were saying, they wouldn't even, they weren't even thinking of starting it until this year, right? Early 2022. And I was kind of shocked by that, but they've proven pretty prescient, you know, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, it's gonna be hard to cover this crazy scene, even as it goes through more ups and downs without you, JR. Um, but thank you for that great, great legacy that you've created, even just this two years that you've been with us. Thanks, Rob. That's yeah. uh, too kind. Uh, too kind. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say, but I appreciate that. And I, you know, I as as I like listen to all the all those articles, I can barely take credit for so, like so many of those ideas that were either like from conversations that we had, or just like the "You Could Be King" article. Like I have to give so much credit to Brandon Carter who like just mentioned that in passing that that was something that was on his mind and just mm. I'm grateful to AT and to you for like giving me a platform to tell these people's stories so yeah I'm just grateful that you, you let me write about all this stuff yeah. well that's what it's about it's not we don't take the credit I often say we're only as good as the people we cover you know so um and sometimes not even that good but I we, we try that's, that's what we aspire to and speaking to people we cover and giving people a platform. I wanna introduce uh, the co-artistic directors of Steppenwolf Theater, Glenn Davis and Audrey Francis. If you could get on, I wanna to talk to you a little bit about how things are going and what's in store for this uh, historic theater that's you see behind me. Audrey, Glenn, how you doing? Hello, hello, I am doing well. How about you all? <laughs> I'm so glad you all had a chance to, to hang out with us and chat a little bit. I think the last time the three of us talked was before the ribbon cutting, when we were sitting, I remember us sitting outside the education center, the new education center there and just chatting, uh, looking at the view, looking at the new, the new building. So I, I'd love to know like how the first, I think it's six months, seven months now maybe, or a few months, I don't know. Six years. Um, <laughs> That seems like an answer to my question of how it's been. I know you all had this great grand ribbon cutting, which was like I had a chance to be at, which was really cool, uh, especially hearing, you know, the mayor and the governor come and talk about this former storefront that's grown into the Chicago staple. Um, and then I, we recently got the announcement that you had to postpone 1919, which I was really excited to see come out. So, yeah, how has it been for you all managing this? this pandemic and this new building as, as you step into leadership of this company? Well, I will start by saying, first of all, um, it is a pleasure to be here with both of you, particularly you, JR, on your last day. Um, so thank you for having us. And, um, and congratulations on all the amazing things happening for you. Um, you will be missed here in Chicago. Um, <clears throat> that, that is not an easy answer, but I will give it my best shot and um, uh, tell you what the experience has been like. So since we've started, you know, we started in a pandemic and um, we're now about to go into our second reopening, as it were. Um, and uh, there are a myriad of difficulties in and around um, getting people to congregate in the same space, um, and, uh, primarily when your audience um, in the theater as, as other 
uh, cultural inst institutions are experiencing is of a, of a certain age and demographic um, that is um, highly susceptible, more susceptible to um, COVID-19 and its effects. So that is, um, that's something we're, we're working, we're working against. But um, for us, when we had our shows going, <clears throat> and we just, uh, in the middle of December, we finished uh, our show Bug, thankfully, before Omicron took, took a hold. And so we were able to finish that show which was a holdover from the season past. Um, so it went great and we had a uh, fantastic audiences. The show just, just grew and grew. So we were really proud about that. Um, the show that you just mentioned 1919 was to be our next show. And um, uh, we postponed it until the fall because of uh, like many shows around town, around the country because of Omicron. And it just wasn't, we found it not to be safe to put um, our artist and in, in, um, in the room together and virtually in harm's way. So um, so we're postponing that and hopefully we can bring that back um, later this year. And then <clears throat> essentially we're about to go into our next show, which uh, starts rehearsal early next month and uh, play King James uh, that, I, that I happen to be in that Rajiv Joseph wrote. So we're hoping, fingers crossed, knocking on wood uh, that we can uh, uh, start that show and have that up in the spring. So uh, all that being said, it's been, you know, as you all probably uh, know and can tell, it's, it's, it's a difficult time to be, to be um, trying to, trying to put on shows, but, um, but, you know, safety first for everyone. And hopefully this, you know, fingers crossed, this second reopening is our last reopening. But um, with that said, we are thrilled about being new leaders in these roles. Uh, I say every day to Audrey, I'm so thankful for her partnership. Uh, wouldn't want to do it with anyone else, couldn't do it with anyone else. Um, so that's probably been the best part about doing this right now is who I get to uh, be in the trenches with every day um, with her and our, our fantastic executive director, Brooke. So, um, you know, that that's my take uh, to that question. If Audrey wants to add on, cool, but that's, that's what I got for right now, for today. <clears throat> That's fair. That's fair. I, I'd love to know, Audrey, can you, you talk, of, I know you, you have a background in education, and I'm curious, like, a big part of this new building is this education aspect, and the way these new education spaces and, the, like, bringing people in to learn from Steppenwolf. So I'm curious, like, how has this pandemic affected that vision and how you're able to execute those, that, like, that part of the mission right now? Yeah, just also echoing congratulations. Sad day for Chicago, but also congratulations. <laughs> That's very exciting. Uh, so I'll just say right now that I think the education team, the step ed team are the experts at pivoting right now. I mean, they have just had to do so many different pivots because I think one of the priorities for them was making sure that these students always had access to the curriculum and the material and the art. So they have been incredibly flexible and adept with all the last minute changes and have always kept um, access for the students a priority and also maintaining the jobs of the teaching artists a priority. So when it comes to this space, you know, we're sitting here kind of ready and eager to fill it, but never at the cost of anyone's safety. So uh, we're obviously really excited about the theater, the, the ensemble theater, which is in the round, which is gonna help us be able to uh, invite 10,000 more students a year than we normally would. So we're really looking forward to that. And then we've got this loft space that's the fourth floor of the new arts and education center, the Eric, Lefko Eric and Liz Lefkowski Arts and Education Center. It's the fourth floor that's completely dedicated to the teens. And there's a really big studio in there. There's a, a medium studio that is all, um, I wanna say like by and for these students. So Glenn and I got to watch uh, a meeting for the Young Adult Council, which is a group of high school students who are working really closely with Steppenwolf. And they basically develop their own curriculum. And they say, instead of you adults telling us what we should learn, why don't we tell you what we're passionate about, what we feel is lacking, what we feel we need? And they'll divide up into these groups and say, this is what we want to do in these spaces at this time. So we're ready. We've got the space. 
Um, but right now it's just happening virtually to keep everybody safe and healthy. Yeah. And that's, that's, what's tough. Like as somebody who's like been very excited about this new, new building that you all have and having walked through it with you all and seen not only this education space and the new theater in the round, but also like new bar areas and just generally like places to gather. Like this is a space intended for people to gather. It feels like it's gotta be a little tough to like say, hold on, gather a little later when this building is ready. Like it's gorgeous, it's ready to go. And it just feels like you just can't get that car moving quite yet. Yeah, I know that the, the, I think that the bar has been on our cover was that that cover we did of Chicago directors, Anna, Bob Falls and Che uh, and Lisa Portez. Uh, it was that, like, that's, that's my favorite cover. <laughs> my favorite cover. I love that cover too. I love that. It's a good cover. It's a good cover. You know what the irony is that uh, Jared was a freelancer for us then and he was working on a big other piece for us and he didn't write in our big Chicago issue. It's like we wrote had everyone but him write. That was before he was on staff. He wouldn't have settled for that if he was if you've been on staff. I wanted to ask about, so Steppenwolf mostly, I've, I've interviewed a lot of folks from Steppenwolf. I've seen two plays I saw there. I saw Streetcar with Gary Sneeze way back in the day and I saw Sex with Strangers. I happened to be in town when Laura was, Laura's play was going up there. But um, obviously I've seen all the stuff that comes, comes to New York. Uh, it's a legendary company and a beloved company. And can you tell me a little bit about what your perception of it was? Was this the kind of thing when you if you're either from Chicago or came to Chicago, you like, I've got to be part of that. And how did you tell me a little bit about the, how you joined the ensemble story? Um, each of you, how you yeah, found out about it? Yeah, go I'll ahead. Go, I'll go first because Audrey's story is highly compelling and um, I don't <laughs> want to follow her. So, um, <clears throat> uh, so what I thought of Steppenwolf, uh, so when I was in, I grew up in Chicago on the South side and when I was in high, high school, um, I did a play and decided that this is what I wanted to go into. And my grandfather, who's uh, no longer with us, um, said, if you, um, he was a politician in Chicago, and he said, hey, I don't know anybody in that world, but if you want to go into theater, if you want to be an actor here in Chicago, you need to go to Steppenwolf. That's where all the best actors are. That's, and, and because of him, um, um, I'm virtually here today, but he, um, he was the first person to put in my mind that Steppenwolf was the, was the cat's meow. So um, I went to Steppenwolf and I took my audition and took my first class with Austin Pendleton. And um, that was a, you know, an incredible experience. I, I, I thank him to this day for letting me in the class, but he was the first person to tell me that I was talented. Um, and so after that, I said, oh, this is, this is definitely what I want to do. Um, so my perception of Steppenwolf at the time was they were giants um, in the theater industry. And I wanted to, I never, I don't think at the time uh, I thought I'm going to be an ensemble member one day. Uh, I thought, I thought simply, I just want to work with some of these people. And if they can teach me some things, that'd be awesome. But <clears throat> I was 19, uh, 20 years old, just thinking, hey, I just want to act. And I don't know what that means. Um, but Steppenwolf sort of gave me direction. And, um, and so I, I saw it as sort of like a beacon for, for me in terms of what was possible. And I sat in on rehearsals of, um, speaking of Gary, I, I sat in on rehearsals at the time of, um, of um, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that later went to Broadway and went overseas. And I remember sitting in that room and seeing uh, Gary Sinise and Terry Kinney directed it and Amy Morton was in it and Kate Todd Freeman was in it, a host of other wonderful actors. And I remember just going, wow, that's what's possible. I wanna do that one day. And um, so it, it, made, it, it made a huge impression on me to say the least. And um, I just thought those are superstars. Um, and this is before I even knew what they were doing in film and television. I just saw them and just said that I wanna be that. Um, so my story about how it, how it came an ensemble member is um, I, I had done several shows at Steppenwolf uh, with, with uh, a lot of ensemble members or, you know, a few ensemble members, I should say. Uh, Terrell Alvin McCraney, uh, my best friend, uh, John Michael Hill, one of my great friends, um, um, Tina Landau had directed uh, me in it in this show, in a couple shows and in New York. And I just began to, you know, start to, I start to feel like um, uh, um, 
like an unofficial member of the company in ways, uh, which was really, really great. Even then, I never thought, oh, I'm being an ensemble member. Also, I lived in LA. So I thought, you know, I would fly back to Chicago um, um, to, to do shows, really. Um, but I, I never really was a Chicago actor uh, because I, I've never done any a show anywhere else but Steppenwolf. So I'm a Steppenwolf actor, but I'm not really a, I never really called myself a Chicago actor. So anyway, long story short, I was, um, I had just recently done a show uh, in Chicago called The Christians um, that Kate Todd Freeman directed. And I was in New York uh, working and, and um, they offered to fly, uh, um, the company manager at the time, Aaron Cook, calls me up and says, hey, uh, what are you doing? Whatever date, May something. I said, um, oh, I'm, I'm free. She goes, um, uh, we want to fly you in for the gala. And I was like, oh, cool. That's awesome. I thought they, they liked me because, you know, I was just in the show and maybe it's just convenient. Oh, she said, we have some extra flights. <laughs> we have some extra flights. We can fly you in for the gala. I was like, all right, cool. And I'm from Chicago. So I said, I'll come visit my family. So I fly in for the gala. And the day before, so they fly me in the day before the gala and I'm flying back with John Hill um, uh, to Chicago. And I get there and then um, she says, hey, Anna wants to meet you at um, Anna Shapiro, the uh, former artistic director. So Anna wants to meet you uh, at Front Bar and talk about uh, a play that she wants to cast you in for next season. I was like, oh, sh can I curse? Oh, awesome. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're awesome. Cursed, cursed. I, was like, Wait. I was like, oh, awesome. Um, I will, uh, happy to meet her. Yeah, I'll, I'll, where is she? It's like, oh, can you meet her at Front Bar, the, the bar you were just talking about that was on the cover of the magazine. So I meet her at Front Bar at like nine o'clock and John is with me and we, we go to seemingly have a drink. And then um, there's a bunch of staff in there, which I didn't even notice really. And I, uh, Anna comes over to me and she says, hey, so I want to talk to you about your casting for next season. I was like, awesome. That'd be great. I'm, I'm ready to go. And she said, yes. Yeah, so how do you feel about becoming uh, the next company member? And I remember just going like, what the fuck did you just say? And um, she said, yeah, I want you to be, the, we want to offer you to be the next company member. And I just sort of stood there mouth agape. And she was like, is that a yes? What are you? And I said, yes. And everybody in the bar turned around and just started clapping. And so everybody was in on the joke, except for me and John Hill. I turned to John Hill and I was like, dude, we flew on the flight together. And he was like, um, he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, you knew. I was like, dude, I had no, I, I, I had no idea, but he knew everyone knew. Uh, my best friend Terrell knew, uh, my friend Alana knew, uh, everyone in the company knew. So I was really ecstatic. It was a great, it was a great moment for me. <clears throat> it's like, it sounds like a wedding proposal. You know? <laughs> <laughs> everyone in the bar knows it. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. It was great. Audrey, you, you see set you up for a good story here. So, yeah, and it is, it is like a marriage for life. Uh, I'll, I'll say that I started my, um, I grew up in Colorado, in Boulder, Colorado. So I didn't really know Steppenwolf very well. I had no plans on being an actor. I wanted to edit and direct documentaries. And in my senior year of college, I asked if I could do um, a narrative film. I wanted to make a narrative film that wasn't, that was fictional. And so my advisor told me that I had to take an acting class. The teacher of the acting class was also a football coach. So I had a really great in in there where he just spoke to me and made theater accessible in a way that it hadn't ever been before in my life. Um, and so I was in a play that he cast me in and he, in a very cool moment of divine intervention, kind of pulled me aside and said, hey, you're not supposed to go to Los Angeles. You're supposed to be an actor. You can be a director in your forties, but right now you should be an actor and you should move to Chicago and go to the school at Steppenwolf and cut your teeth there. Have Chicago train you, don't have Los Angeles train you. And so I was like, cool. I don't know why, like it, it sounds, for some reason this feels like a really big moment in my life and I can't explain it. So I packed up um, the things that I had and my first time being in Chicago was driving into Chicago in a U-Haul in February. And so that was a rude awakening, but I did. I auditioned for the school at Steppenwolf and I got in and 
my teachers who really had a, had a profound impact on my life were Tina Landau, K. Todd Freeman, and Amy Morton. And Amy and K. Todd in particular said, you know, they taught a technique called the Meisner technique. And they said, you know, you, you should teach this. You're probably meant to teach this. And it was one of those moments where it felt like divine intervention again. So I learned how to teach it. And in doing that, Steppenwolf just became the thing that I knew as professional theater. The first, you know, non-opera or non-ballet, the first uh, theater play that I saw was Frankie and Johnny with Yasin Payenkov and Laurie Metcalf. And that was where I was like, oh, is that what theater is? Is that what it can be? And so then I just decided that if I was going to do theater, I, I only wanted to do it at Steppenwolf. But I mean, that was a, an ignorant thing to say because I was lucky enough to do so much storefront theater in Chicago. That's actually who brought me up. It was Steppenwolf, K. Todd, Amy, Tina, and Chicago's storefront theater scene really helped me grow as an artist. And um, eventually I was doing a play. It was the fundamental. So my welcome to Steppenwolf moment, as I will call it, is I got a text from Erin as well, the company manager here at Steppenwolf. And she said, hey, at the end of your show tonight, Anna wants to talk to you about the school at Steppenwolf. And I was like, well, I think I'm going to get fired, right? Like this is the moment where they fire me. I don't, and I don't even know. So I um, finished the show and Anna Shapiro and Amy Morton were in my dressing room waiting for me. No, that's not true. I got in the, I got in my dressing room. I started taking off my costume. I started washing the makeup off my face and I had facial cleanser and Anna and Amy walked into the dressing room and I had my face cleanser was on my face and they and Anna said, we think it's time. We'd like to invite you to be in the company. And then Amy said, you get a mug. And she gave me a Steppenwolf mug. And then Caroline Neff came rushing in because she was sharing a dressing room and similar. She knew and everybody knew. And it was like a wonderful moment where I was the most unattractive and I had an eczema face cleaner all over my face and I couldn't see. And I was like, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. I thought I was getting fired. Amazing. I love both of those stories. And I know, like, I was talking to Namir Smallwood and Carrie Coon, and they both have similar stories where neither of them expected it, it just comes out of the blue. And like, I just love, like, hearing the joy that everybody got from those moments. But, like, I, I was also talking to, to David Cromer uh, after Bug Close, and we were talking about how there's kind of this, there can be kind of this, like, air of exclusivity around Steppenwolf, or at least historically there could, there has been. And these stories like kind of hold that a little bit. Like it's, you can see the joy, but you can also see how it feels kind of like if you're an outside actor, like how do I get that experience? Like, how do I become that? So I'm curious, like from your perspective, the perspectives as the leaders of this company, like how do you manage that with with actors in the country in the city like how do you manage that air of of kind of mystery that kind of that can surround steppenwolf and it feels like the new building is kind of fighting against that and inviting people in more so um but yeah i'm just kind of curious your thoughts about that yeah i'll just i'll say um steppenwolf has historically been a place that um, it's it's <clears throat> because of where it's centered, Lincoln Park, which is, which is um, uh, one of the more economically affluent neighborhoods in Chicago, and the nature of its history, which has been um, uh, this wonderful group of artists who are mainly from the same area, this suburb, what, 30, 40 miles, maybe 50 miles outside of Chicago, um, and uh, mostly white or just about all white. And so I think that <clears throat> over time, what Steppenwolf has, has done is uh, recognize that about, about itself and uh, try to make inroads within various communities. And you see, uh, you see that in the programming. Um, you see, I think it, it started with um, um, uh, Martha Levy, who's uh, the late Martha Levy. Um, and Anna continued that uh, uh, bringing in more ensemble members of color, of different backgrounds, um, and 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 the programming particularly. But and so now we have um, more. We, we the work continues. We have more work to do in terms of staff, board. Uh, we, we're taking 
um, obviously notes from uh, We See You at America. Um, uh, so there, there's a lot, there's and so many conversations. I, I saw um, a question about other institutions around the, around the city. Are we in conversation with them? And that that is yes. So I would say that Steppenwolf has been um, historically privatized in a way because there is this era of uh, exclusivity and no one really knows how you become an ensemble member. There isn't a, a perfect calculus, right? And that's that's added to its mystery um, over the years. I think what Audrey and I want to do is now the step will step wolf is a brand. It is what it is, right? That's not going anywhere anytime soon. I think that what we want to do is welcome more people into that brand. We want to welcome more, we want to demystify the thing itself and say, hey, this is a this is enough uh fantastic theater company. We do great work. Um, and we have this incredible ensemble of actors and writers and directors um, associated with it. But we want this to feel like this can be everyone's neighborhood theater, whether you're on the south side, the north side, the west side, come to Chicago. This, I mean, come to Steppenwolf if you're a Chicagoan, this is your theater. So I think that's a lot of the work that we're doing. And that comes from being in conversation with the community, that comes from being in conversation with other theaters, uh, the artists and the staff in the building and the board. Um, but the last thing, I just wanna put a cap on this. Um, the last thing you said, that is actually true. We, we think of the new building as a welcoming to the entire city and um, uh, having people from disparate backgrounds be able to come in um, and have a, a wonderful entry point education and um, the things that, that uh, the wonderful um, teaching artists and the folks running the edu education department have to um, have to work with in terms of bringing all those folks in and learning about theater and, and the ways that they can be a part of this community, whether they're uh, theater makers themselves or citizenry who just really love theater and theater makers. So that's a, that's an important point that you just made. Yeah, that that building is a we call it a love letter to the city of Chicago. <clears throat> I'll give you a chance to chime in here too, Audrey, but it just, what you were saying, Glenn, just made me, it reminded me of a conversation I had with Ken Matt Martin months ago about when we were talking about the new playwrights ensemble that was coming into Victory Gardens and like balancing how do you support these artists you're bringing in as an ensemble while not alienating artists who are not part of that ensemble. Like how do you balance those slots? There are only so many plays, there are only so many you know, roles that can be can be assigned. So I don't just, envy that job. Yeah, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just add to that, JR. That is a, a, a another great point you just make. That is a wonderful calculus that we actually are invigorated by because we have uh, uh, artists from so many different backgrounds in our company uh, that goes beyond just racially, uh, but generationally. And we think of what, what speaks to those artists, like everyone doesn't like the same plays, right? Everyone doesn't want to be in the same part. So you might give one actor a play and they go, oh, this is awesome. And then they think of seven different directors that they think might be right for it. And uh, they might miss on every one. So there is this, it's, it's strategic and there's, a, it, there's no perfect calculus, but that's part of the, the sort of adventure of programming is sort of putting all the producing, putting all the pieces in place and saying what fits and then saying, okay, do we want to do a new play here by a BIPOC artist? Do we want to do um, um, a classic play here with, uh, with an artist who's been dying to, to play this role for the last, you know, 15 years? So that's, that, that's actually that challenge we welcome it. We actually enjoy that. I'll just, if, if you have anything you'd want to add, we have a couple questions from Facebook I'm going to take in a second, but Audrey, do you have anything you'd like to add on that point? No, I think Glenn said it all. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Beautiful, yeah, of well. course. <laughs> of course, as always. Uh, so I'm going to read a couple questions we got from Facebook. Uh, the first one, have you noticed a growth in fellowship among leaders of theatrical institutions in Chicago? Great question. I was also wondering this. Uh, has there been an exchange of support and ideas between you all and people like Regina Victor, Lorena Diaz, and Wendy Mateo? I'll add Ken Matt Martin in there. Um, and then presumably whoever comes into Goodman will join that, that cohort as well. Um, but yeah, I'm curious how that exchange of ideas and support has been. Yeah, there are so many new uh, or new-ish artistic directors that are leading Chicago right now. And um, 
what I can say is, is that there is the desire for that fellowship. So actually Glenn, Glenn and I, I mean, to be fully transparent, just have been in conversation and asked all the new leaders, hey, this is a really unique and amazing time for Chicago right now. And also it's an incredibly difficult time to be an artistic director. So, you know, we just kind of put the signal out and said, is anybody open or available or interested in talking? And we don't even know what that means, right? Because everybody's holding so much. And how do we support each other? How do we lean on each other? How do we encourage each other as Chicago? And um, the response was awesome. It was a very Chicago response. It's like, fuck yes, let's get in the same room <laughs> together and lean on each other. And um, to be honest, that's on us right now to schedule, but thanks to hashtag Omicron, we're obviously postponing or postponing getting people into the, into the room. But I will say that I'll speak for Glenn and myself, that that desire is there. And I see a very exciting future of how we develop a fellowship for Chicago. Right, there was another question uh, uh, that I think might also be in your, in your wheelhouse, uh, Audrey, although Glenn, you're welcome to talk. Uh, your educational programs are exciting and groundbreaking. I'm curious about the state of your adult education programs. So. Yeah, I mean, this is like, this is the thing that I'm, I mean, Glenn and I just had like, what, three hours of conversation about this in the last three days. The, the adult education that exists for Steppenwolf now, or historically has been the school at Steppenwolf, it's a 10 week intensive training program. And it's wonderful. It, it is a wonderful program that was um, inspired by genuinely wanting to pass on the Steppenwolf ensemble ethos. Part of myself, part of me and Glenn's self-imposed mandate is to, is to come in and to say, what is working and who is it working for? And how do we double down on the things that are really, really extraordinary and working for a wide group of people? And what are the things that need extra exploration and deserve innovation? and require us to stop and press pause and really look at, are we doing the best that we can do both for Steppenwolf, for Chicago and for our industry? So for all those things. And so when we're thinking about adult education, the very honest and not super glamorous answer is we're in a moment of exploration of, of figuring out what do we actually have the potential to do? And I can tell you that we're dreaming very big and we're, dreaming things that I don't see a lot of examples of right now in our industry that both Glenn and I coming from an actor's perspective from the ensemble ethos and from genuinely wanting Steppenwolf to be an incubator and a launch pad for artists and authentically contribute to the cultural landscape of Chicago we are dreaming on how Steppenwolf can can do that so I can't say anything more specific than that, but I can tell you that it's gonna take time and we are not rushing it because we wanna launch something pretty remarkable. Good answer. I, I, uh, this is an, another question I have, or we, we, we sort of have, that maybe is another big picture question Then we wanna ask some specific fun ones too. But the big picture question is about the expectations for the company moving forward and how, how will Steppenwolf under Glenn and Audrey's regime be different from Anna Shapiro and Martha Levy. I feel like there was a continuity with those two, despite the generational difference. I think as many people talked about Martha did try to diversify the company. It was a different company than the old, you know, Malkovich Sinise company under Martha and Audrey, or sorry, uh, Anna carried that forward. Where do you see uh, Steppenwolf going under you two? Yeah, uh, Rob, I think that <clears throat> the a lot has happened in the last going on two years now that um, if you'd have asked me that, you know, three years ago as an ensemble member, my, my answer might be very different. I think that um, JR, speaking to JR's point a second ago, uh, inclusivity is at the forefront of everything we're doing, making, making sure that uh, 
a lot of people who who uh, haven't historically felt welcome at places like Steppenwolf, at, at arts institutions um, around the country, but particularly in theater, uh, we want them to feel like this can be their home. This can be something that they, that's a part of their, their um, cultural lives. Um, so that's number one. We also want to, um, Audrey talks about this often, we want to um, sort of innovate within the theater industry itself and starting with Steppenwolf, but, but um, sort of change the cosmology of, of uh, the way theater has worked uh, in the past in that there's this, there's this uh, sort of mantra that the show will go on. Uh, there's, you know, 10 out of 12s, there's, there's, you know, people being historically underpaid uh, uh, in comparison to their counterparts with uh, uh, degrees at the, you know, at the same, with similar degrees in their field. So um, there's a lot we want to change. There's a lot we want to innovate, um, but we want the theater to look like uh, Chicago. We want people to, you know, Chicago is 30% um, um, African-American, 30% white and 30% Latinx. And so we want that to be reflective in the programming and the people who come into the theater and the people who are, who are, um, who are working at the theater and um, on the board even. So the, those are where we're putting our focus. Obviously, Audrey talked about the, the school of Steppenwolf. That's something that's pretty huge for us as well. And um, lastly, I just, uh, I think that, you know, the thing that Steppenwolf, that, you know, often say Steppenwolf is a, is a uh, regional theater company, but no one thinks of it in that way. You know, you, you think of, you know, the sort of regionals um, around the country that, and there's some fantastic ones, but you go, okay, Steppenwolf, it's, it's sort of sits outside of that for some reason. It's a bit different. There's a, there, there's just the earmarks are, are, are different for that place. And I think it's, and I know in my estimation, it's because of the ensemble. The ensemble, this fantastic group of artists who've uh, made Steppenwolf what it is, have um, have sort of changed the trajectory of the American theater. And they sort of represent the best case scenario of people getting into a room and saying, let's just make shit. And so when you see the Tracy Letts and the Terrell McCraney's and the Rajiv Josephs and the Tina Landau's and Kate Todd Freeman's, Amy Morton's, Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry's, Terry Kinney, all those fantastic names that have matriculated through the building over time, you think that's that's what I want to be a part of. I want to extend that and I want to look up, um, you know, five, 10 years from now, 20 years from now and look at, you know, you said regime, I think of, you know, uh, um, running a country, but um, but we want to look at our legacy. We want to look back and say, we, we added something to what Martha started and it continued and we, we, um, we brought our own innovations to it. So um, there are a lot of things we wanna do, but we want it to be reflective of um, the, the desires that the community have for us as well. You know, we have our own, as I already said, um, our own self-imposed uh, things that we wanna do, but the community is asking for things right now as well. So we wanna be cognizant of that and staying in conversation with them and the other arts leaders around the country our sort of mandate is, is, is being dictated for us in a lot of ways. <clears throat> yeah, and, and as you talk about all the names who have been through that building, which, you know, anytime you see the list, it's just incredible and like mind blowing. But uh, like looking at this upcoming season, which was intentionally put together to focus on the ensemble and, and put ensemble work forward, one of the more fascinating plays I was really looking forward to this season that you mentioned earlier was King James, uh, Rajiv Joseph's new play that's coming out. Uh, I'd love to know just briefly, Glenn, because it, it would suck if I didn't ask you this <laughs> before this time runs out. I'm just kind of curious, like, what's, how has that process been working on that play? And is there like a pressure telling the story of LeBron James? I don't know. Like, do you, does it feel like there's extra pressure telling the story of someone who I, I feel like I'm not overstating when I say he's like a living legend in the basketball world and the Cleveland community um, and the black community for that matter. Like he is, you know, one of the all time greats. Like, is there their pressure? And also how is it working with Rajiv again after Bengal Tiger? Yeah. And uh, before I answer that, I just want to say, and the, the, to add on to that last question you asked me, um, I would I would be remiss, and Namir Smallwood would kill me if I didn't say we just want to do great 
fucking work at Step Off. Um, so we want to continue that legacy. Um, yeah, so uh, that play came about because um, I had seen a play of Rajiv's called um, Guards at the Taj. I saw it, it in New York and then it came to Steppenwolf and it just blew me away. I just thought, man, Rajiv, I can't remember how many two-person shows he's done, but this was, um, um, he's done several and this was uh, maybe the fourth I had seen. And so I said, man, you just really, the two-person show, you just have a real great handle on that. And that's not easy to keep the ball in the air between two people over 80, 90 minutes and neither one of them can go anywhere right? Um, to keep that conflict going is remarkable because, you know, if you and I are in an argument at some point, I'm like, you know what, I'm out, I'm, I'm leaving. But so how does he keep people in the room? And he, he does it, he does it uh, deftly. But uh, so I'd seen that play and I, I sort of said to Rajiv, um, uh, we were in New York uh, seeing another friends of ours play. And I said, hey, man, what does a two person play look like? I would love to explore that with you and he said yeah let's think about it and so we're both you know sports fans and and uh, we often argue about who's greater Michael Jordan or LeBron James I don't even need to answer this I'm sure you know JR so we would we would argue over that and we talk basketball a lot and so one day he calls me up out of the blue maybe a few months later and he says I got it I said what he goes I got the idea for the play and I said oh talk to me and um he pitched this idea about you know King James, which is essentially this, this sort of meditation on friendship. It's between these two friends who come together around their love. They meet and, and become very, very good friends very quickly around their love for LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers and the hope of LeBron James bringing, bringing a uh, championship to the city, which hadn't had a city in any uh, a championship in any sport for 50 some odd years. So, um, and I said, oh, you know, he sort of detailed it out to me. And I said, this is awesome. And um, as you alluded to, I'd worked with Rajiv, you know, 10 years prior on Bengal Tiger at the Baghdad Zoo. And I've seen him in process. And his process is just incredible. He, he writes very quickly. He changes things, huge sweeping changes in the middle of rehearsal. He goes out and he comes back in. And he's like, the play looks very different. Um, and so I love that about his work. And so... Uh, we essentially, he and myself pitched it to Anna at the time, Anna Shapiro, she loved it so much so that she said, I would love to direct it. And we were like, awesome, let's do it. And um, then, then she programmed it. And then last, so it was uh, spring of 2020 when we were about to go into rehearsal and uh, COVID hit. So we were two weeks, I think two or three weeks out and then COVID hit and it was like, who knows when we'll get to do this play. In the meantime, you know, the world has changed. Um, I think Rajiv has been is hugely cognizant of that. So there are some layers of uh, uh, um, that he um, puts in there uh, over having to do with race um, that I think are really uh, um, speak to what was going on at the time when LeBron James left to go to Miami when he decided to leave Cleveland. There was a sort of racial component that was associated with the animus that he experienced from this, you know, the, the the state of, of Ohio, which you know he he um, was looking for him to deliver them in a, in a ways in, in a way, so um, so he he addresses that he talks about um, um, a, a host of things in and around friendship and uh, men talking about uh, uh, things that um, that usually they they don't usually they they don't have the language for, and he um, he he really he really delves into that uh, pretty remarkably. So we're really excited about going into that. Um, we've done several workshops. We just did a reading the other day. Audrey was there. Um, she liked it. So I was like, okay, maybe, maybe we have something here, you know. Um, but it's um we we now have a, a because of COVID uh and that play got postponed. Uh Anna Shapiro, who was originally set to direct it, uh, is directing now directing the minutes on Broadway, Tracy Letts' play that played a Step Wolf a few seasons ago, and it directly conflicts with um, King James. So we got a, a new director, Kenny Leon, who is remarkable, incredible, and um, uh, um, su supremely talented. We're really excited about him. And we start in, wow, I'm about to scare myself. We start in uh, just over two weeks. And uh, I have not done a play 
in three in three years, and I have not done a two person play in I, I can't even remember maybe twenty years. Um, so this will be an exciting time, but I'm I'm thrilled. The other actor is an actor named Christopher Perfetti, who's brilliant actor who I've seen in a host of things in New York. Um, so we're really, we're really excited about this one. <clears throat> so you, you have to come back and see this. So I, I don't, you know, we got to figure that out. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to, that sounds great. What are the chances you're going to get uh, LeBron in the audience one of these days? <laughs> so, so um, you were talking about it. So LeBron and I, um, he's a friend of mine. No, I'm joking. Uh, LeBron, <laughs> LeBron, LeBron and I um, serendipitously share the same birthday. And so, um, and so, yes, so this, 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 this play has uh, a bunch of symmetry in it in terms of, of, of what we're doing and what, what's going on with uh, LeBron. The Lakers are uh, Kenny Leon's favorite basketball team. Um, he's a huge LeBron fan. So we have, we, we are determined to get LeBron to the show. I think you all probably know this. The show goes from Chicago, we have a short break, um, and then we go to Los Angeles and we do it at the Mark Taper Forum. So we would do this show there. And if all goes according to plan, fingers crossed, LeBron and the Lakers would be in the playoffs at the time this show is, going, is up. So um, that would be perfect. If LeBron was on his way to winning his, I think, fifth championship, and um, we were doing this play at the same time, title King James um, of we're having to do with his story. And, you know, he may or may not find himself in the audience. So um, we're, we're working, we're working all the angles. I think, I think I'm pretty sure we'll get it done. Well, you know, if Kanye, Kanye West can go to slave play, I think he can get, he can get uh, LeBron <laughs> at, uh, at yours. I, 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 we're getting close to time here, but I want to just ask one question and throw it to you, Audrey, to start. Um, you know, <clears throat> one of the trends we've seen among, it's, it's not a brand new thing to have co-artistic directors, but it's, we've seen a lot of theater companies hiring new associate artistic directors, trying new leadership models, or trying models, models that aren't totally new to the field, but new to them. And I know, technically, if you read the history of Steppenwolf, someone pointed out there was a co-artistic director somewhere back in the, back in the day, two, two of them sort of crossed paths, and it certainly was always an ensemble and always kind of like, you start out with basically kids in a basement putting on plays. So, um, but this is, this is a, a big step to do a co-artistic directorship. Can you tell me a little bit how that actually works out? Is, are there's a, is there job descriptions, you know, a division of labor, that kind of thing? How, how do you two think of that, Audrey? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people, uh, I think, uh, got very nervous when Glenn and I pitched ourselves as a team because, you know, in the corporate world, or even if we're directing a play, it doesn't really work well historically to have two leaders, right? But I think Glenn and I really push back against that narrative because the truth is, is that this job is immense. And especially for Steppenwolf and Unique with having 50 artists who call this place their home, it's even more to manage. And so, you know, Glenn and I really sat down and, and had a conversation about what does success mean to us for the theater? And what do we believe our strengths are? And how do we help support each other and set each other up for success? And to be very honest with you, there's, there's things that Glenn is so much better at than me and that maybe I have strengths that Glenn doesn't have. And we are okay with that. We're comfortable with that. And um, we support each other. And I think the best thing that Glenn and I do is that we're really good friends we have no problem communicating directly with each other, which is a nice thing in the culture of Steppenwolf. And we don't have egos. So even though we both may have our lanes where we're the point person on specific things, we have made the agreement that nothing will happen without there being a conversation because Glenn brings a really unique perspective. I bring a really unique perspective. And so where Glenn may be the point person, there's always going to be a conversation so that we have a really collaborative process for the changes that are happening at Steppenwolf. So, so yes, there are point people for different things, but what we've committed to is that especially for the first year, we're in conversation about everything and the best idea always wins, which means Glenn and I can't be precious about shit. We have to be open to inspiration and change and, 
and be willing to cheer each other on and support each other with our strengths and also lift each other up for the areas where we need help, which is ensemble. That's what we're used to doing. So it's actually for us working out really well. The only thing I'll add to that is that Audrey yeah. said we're Audrey said we're really good friends. I would say we're great friends. Um, I just want to clarify for anyone listening. <laughs> I, I something you said there, Audrey. I want to just follow up on you. You said you pitched yourself as a team. That's not. I did. I guess I either I didn't read it closely or didn't. That wasn't. That wasn't publicized. It wasn't like a committee. Like let's just bring two together. It's more representative. You pitched yourself literally as a team as leaders. That's how you audition yeah. for the job basically yeah okay. we knew we knew that anna anna was not going to renew her contract and when we were in okay. this position glenn and i had been shooting the shit backstage of a show that we were both in together and we were we would talk about this all the time so when the time came we thought there's this is the moment to change and and the truth is is i don't know that i would have ever raised my hand for the job well i wouldn't have without glenn i wouldn't i wouldn't have without him. And then what, what was exciting about it is that we were voted in nearly unanimously. So, so where the history is there is that it was a, it was the first really democratic vote for an artistic director. Um, and Glenn and I, we, I, we did pretty well, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. I, we, we, we wish you all the best uh, with, with this new, these new, this new double position. Um, you know, JR, we'd love to make sure you get back to Chicago. I would like to get to Chicago. I would like, since JR and I have literally not been in the same room since January 2020, I think we have to make a date to meet in Chicago at a Steppenwolf play sometime, JR, um, in the coming year. I don't know if it'll be King James or Seagull or what, whatever it'll be, but I. It's going to be King James. King, okay, all right. King James. So to bring it even more full circle, I mean, LA was sort of my theater hometown. So if we did it in LA, that'd be. That'd be good too. But it, it, anyway, we you gotta can get come together. to LA and you can come to LA right after and see how it's changed. You know. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you too so much for your for your time today, Jr. Thank you for two years of your service to, to American theater, at both the magazine and and the thing, <laughs> and to Chicago theater. Um, it's been great talking to you, and uh, let's cross our fingers, say prayers. We're going to get through this with our audience. Okay. Bye now. Have a good day. Thank you.